Good morning. Good to see you. How are we doing? Oh, thanks. People replied. That's, that's always good. Good to see you. Uh, my name's Rich. If I've not had the pleasure of meeting you, I would love to. Um, I'm normally at the South Site, and I'm involved uh, mostly in Church Central with the youth crew that is Emerge. Whoop, 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 whoop. That's it. There we go. So that's what I normally do, but I'm here this morning to carry on our time in Colossians, and uh, I'm going to get some help from a few emerges throughout this talk as well, so uh, look forward to that. Um, what I want to do to start with is I want to ask you a question, and I'd love to do that annoying thing that preachers do where they get you to talk with a person next to you. Ah, oh, sorry. I know. Gah. Pet kids are like, not to my parents. Oh. Um, and what I want you to do I want you to discuss a word that's going to come up on the screen, and whether you're a Christian or whether you're here, you're not sort of a Christian, but you're just kind of here with a friend or whatever, I want you to chat about, just for a few seconds, how you feel when this word comes on the screen. Okay? Ready? Not what you think it means, anything like that, just how you feel. Not how you should feel. How you feel. Three, two, one. Evangelism. Okay, so chat the person next to you. What does that make you feel? Chat, go. Okay, 10 seconds, 10 seconds. Okay, okay. Now, I might have led you down a particular route with the font type that I use there. Um, and the voice, yes, exactly. If I'd gone, evangelism, we'd all feel different. Evangelism. Someone shout out a few feelings. Let's get through the like excited and like really up for it ones. How do we really feel when that word comes on the screen? Give me some words. Yes. Yeah, okay. Macmillan. Boom. We should swap roles. Go. Yeah. Ha- anyone else? No. no. <laughs> Love it. And therein lies the tension, right? Okay. Anyone else here? I heard some other words. Yes, okay, great. Come on, come on. Oh, no, okay, right. Cringe, okay, good, yeah. Guilty. I think that's huge, isn't it? Guilty. I feel sometimes just kind of um, sadness. I think of stories where I could have done a bit more or where it didn't quite go as I'd like. Sadness. Excitement, yeah, but also a bit of... uh. (laughs) It's strange, isn't it? I think evangelism is a word, and basically what it means, it's in, at its root, it's uh, about sharing the evangel. Now that clears it up. Um, and that, that, just mean, <laughs> that just means good news, good news about Jesus. So sharing J- Jesus with people, and we're going to talk a bit more about that in detail, what that actually looks like. But that's what it means. But how do we feel about it? I think it's a strange thing that on one level we all love it. Okay, we want to be in a church whose part of their vision statement is to see Jesus the most talked about person in Birmingham. Nobody wants the vision statement of their church to be to see Jesus the most talked about person in the church. And let's just keep it in, right? No one wants that. And no one looks up words for their new church when they move to a new city and goes, I want the worship to be good and I want it to be insular and stingy, right? No one wants that. But yet, I think there's a sense in which this word, at best we feel nervous at times, and at worst, I think sometimes we can feel a bit ashamed of evangelism and the idea that we would want to share the faith with someone else. Um, There's a lady in America called Becky Manley Pippert who's a brilliant evangelist. She's written a fantastic book called Out of the Salt Shaker. It's the book 
on evangelism. You should get it. Um, and she says this, um, that evangelism, even though we know it's brilliant, so often feels like something most of us wouldn't do to our dog, let alone our friends, okay? <laughs> right? Because even though we know it's good, it doesn't sometimes feel like it's a good thing. Now, I thought this in school. Some pictures of me are going to come up from me in school. Um, I thought this. um, That's not me. That's me. One of them is me. So very shiny teeth at the top. um, Strange thing with a pole there. Strange hair. That's me. Um, And I basically thought this. I wasn't a Christian. And I had this idiot friend called Steve also pictured. And Steve, you'll never guess what. Oh, pity, pity this man. He was, ready, he was a Christian. Uh, idiot, and uh, he was stupid, and he was a Christian, and he used to try and talk to me about Jesus, and he used to start conversations with me and say, like, what do you think about this, Rich? And um, we'd just mock him and bully him in science particularly, and including our teacher, which was funny for us, very horrible for Steve, I imagine. And uh, it used to, really annoy, <laughs> used to really annoy me that he would t- try and talk to me about Jesus, okay? At times, it did annoy me, okay? But however you felt when that word came on the screen, I just want to for a moment begin here by just clearing something up and say, I am very, very, very glad that Steve talked to me about Jesus, okay? However we felt when that word came up, the excitement or the terror or the guilt, I just want to rid that word of its shame and of its negative feelings and say, evangelism, I'm not precious about the word, but that Steve told me about Jesus. I'm very, very, very glad he did that, okay? Seven years after we met, and he was my friend for seven years, I became a Christian, and I just want to say that is the best thing that's ever happened to me. And him talking to me about Jesus, though at times I didn't get it, though for a long time I didn't listen, was the best thing that any person has done in my life because he introduced me to the best person. Uh, There's a picture coming up of him as my best man at my wedding. And yeah... And if any wedding photo wins a crowd, doesn't it? And uh, I just want to say, he, he, other than Jesus, has been the best man in my life because he told me about Jesus. And so however you feel about evangelism, it's got all those connotations right as we begin, but rid it of that because it's transformed my life because Steve gave it a go. One more picture, just because if weddings don't do it for you, babies. Okay, this is us. We don't see each other that often, but we've kept in touch, and uh, we're both not really coping with being a dad and are grinning about it there. So, like, I I didn't like him when he talked to me about Jesus, but actually, he's the best man in my life because he's pointing me to Jesus, and I just want to rid the word of that shame as we start. Now, um, as we carry on, it might be, though, that you're here and you're, you're not a Christian, and you're feeling how I felt all through school, okay? Which is that the idea that we're about to look at a paragraph in the Bible that's about sharing your faith and Christians telling other people what to believe, blah, blah, blah. You're going, no, that is exactly what everybody hates about you Christians. The fact that you don't just go to church and enjoy it, but you go to church and want me to come and you want me to believe and you want my life to change. And you might be feeling that. And I just want to say and put you at ease and say, I totally know where you're coming from with that. I completely know where you're coming from with that. But I just want to share something that I found very helpful, which was that for Steve, I noticed, and he actually used this phrase with me when we were in school, and he said this, I don't think you should be offended that someone would try to share Jesus with you. I think you should be complimented, right? However you feel about it, however you, whatever you go on to believe in life, if someone wants you to know about Jesus, even if it's a load of nonsense, you shouldn't be offended. You shouldn't give them a heart. You should feel complimented. 
Do you see? Because what Steve had experienced was that for him, knowing Jesus was the most soul-satisfying, thirst-quenching, life-changing, eternity-shaping, joy-bringing, sin-forgiving, thing ever. And he wanted me to know. And so that's, I shouldn't get offended with him. That's a sign that he loves me, that he wanted to share the riches. If under this chair, I bring out a check for a billion pounds, woo! And then I say, would you like it? That's not rude, is it? I mean, it might not be real, but you shouldn't be offended, right? I wanted to sh- he wanted to share with me something that he'd come to see as precious. And so I just want to say that and put you at ease that whatever place you're coming from, a Christian who's got sad stories of evangelism, a Christian who's keen for it, or someone who's not Christian who thinks this is exactly what I hate about Christians, I just want to say at the start, what motivates this practice that we're going to look at in a bit of detail and get theological about it and practical about it, what motivates this practice is not an arrogance, you should think what I think, but a humble love. Have what I have been given. I want you to be in on it as well. I just wanted to say that at the start. So let's dive in and see what God says about evangelism in this paragraph in Colossians. It's in Colossians chapter 4. And verses 2 to 6, if you've got a phone or a Bible, get it open. Um, You've already got bored of my voice. So a much better voice is going to read this out for us as it comes on the screen. Yasmin Barrington, everybody. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray for us also, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I I am in prison that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards others, making the use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Beautiful. Let's give her a hand. Thank you very much, Yaz. Great stuff. Okay, that's Paul's little paragraph, and he's done all the stuff about Jesus, hasn't he? Like, for the whole term in Colossians. And now he gets to this thing about, so how then do we take it out of the four walls of the church? And we're going to basically see two questions that he answers about evangelism. The first question is, who does it? Who does evangelism? Whose job is it? Whose responsibility is it? Okay. And the second question is, what is it? All right. Who does it and what is it? Now, for most of the time, we're going to think about who does it. And there's a couple of tensions that I think we feel that we need to get our minds renewed on. You know, Paul says that if you want your life to be transformed you get transformed by the renewing of your mind, okay? And we need to get some thoughts right about evangelism. Who, whose responsibility is evangelism? The first tension we feel is, is it God's responsibility or is it our responsibility, okay? Who is going to be the great evangelist in the world? Is it God or is it me? Now, Elliot Mitchell, up you come. Give him a round of applause. Okay, you take that. And this has not been rehearsed, so this, anything could happen at this point. And make it tense, okay, so that it's tight, okay, ready. Now, very gently, and don't burn your hands because I'll get in trouble, and don't fall over because I'll get in trouble. Tug of war, go. Okay, now there's a tension we feel in this question. Whose job is it? Elliot's playing the role of God, okay, result. And uh, is it God's role? Now, if, if, if we think it's God's role and we start to go over that way and it's all God's role, what will happen to our evangelism? We will feel any motivation to do anything? No, because God's going to do it. So God's going to do it all brilliant. I just sit on my bum, I don't have to do anything, fantastic. 
great. Now, if we go the other end of the spectrum and we start to think it's all about us and the tension goes this way and we forget God and it's all about me and what I do, I might be very busy, I might be doing a lot, I might be pretty tired actually, mightn't I? Because I'm sort of feeling the pressure of doing it all. I might be really about evangelism, but I might also have given up because I'm just so tired. Now, what we need is somehow to hold the tension, what is it in terms of God's role and what is it in terms of my role, okay? Tug of War 1 is over. Elliot Mitchell, everybody, well done. (laughs) Now, let's look at verses 2 and 3 of this paragraph and see what Paul says. Is it, you alone can rescue, you alone can save? Or is it, we must spread the word of this? Which is it, okay? (laughs) Who's right? It's Christian worship leader war, okay? Who's right? Now, let's look at verses 2 to 3. What does Paul tell the Colossians to do in verses 2 and 3? It'll come up on the screen. What does he tell them to do? He says, pray. Pray. If you want to see Jesus, the most talked about person in your family, street, city, planet, pray. Because there's a very real sense in which this is God's job. In a very real sense, it's God's job. And we therefore must pray. We must ask things of God. Hello, God, could you please blank amen? We must pray. We must pray. Now, Paul, okay, is no slouch in evangelism, all right? He's like transformed the world by doing evangelism. So we'll get to that. But even Paul says we must pray. We must begin by praying. To be fruitful as an evangelist. To see our carol concert change lives. We must pray because it's God who's got to do it. It's God who's got to do it. Just to bring this home, I'm going to ask you a question. And I want you to just have a little show of hands, okay? Who would agree with this statement? The notion of bringing someone else to become a Christian is quite difficult. Okay, who would agree with that? Let's see some hands. The the idea of bringing someone else to be, yeah, yeah, it's pretty, pretty tricky, right? Bad news, you're all wrong. Oh, stick with it. You're all wrong. It's not quite difficult to bring someone else to be a Christian. It's impossible, you saw where it was going. It's impossible to bring someone else to be a Christian. It's not quite difficult, okay? It's not really hard. It's impossible because what it means to become a Christian, you know what the Bible describes it as? It's not a cherry on the top of your life. It's not dressing up a Christmas tree and a few rules here, a few regulations here, a bit of life change. Becoming a Christian is that you would have your very heart changed, that your inner being, not on the outside in, but from the inside out, is different, completely different. It's heart transplant that we need and that we want people to have. We want their very desires and affections to be changed. Elsewhere in the Bible, it says it's going from death to life. And so, of course, it must be God's role. No wonder we feel a bit bad about our evangelism. No wonder we find it quite hard. It's impossible to see that happen in a person's life. Death to life doesn't happen. It's never, I've never done it. (laughs) Now, what if... We knew someone who had a really flipping good track record at bringing life from death. And we could bring him into the equation. What if? Hmm. That would change how we feel about evangelism, I think, wouldn't it? What if we knew someone who was good at taking dead things and bringing them to life? Think about the creation. In the beginning, God created the world. And it was dark, wasn't it? And, and, and chaotic, and there was a void there. It was just kind of nothingy. And then God comes and life 
life. Everything you've seen on planet Earth too. Because he can do it. It's dry bones, weren't they? They were very dry. And Lazarus was, was dead, wasn't he? And I'll tell you a rubbish day in history, Easter Saturday. Terrible. And then he brings life because God can do that. And the same God who walks out of the tomb on Easter Sunday is the same God who we get to say, hey God, could you bless our carol service and make it mean something? God, could you bring life? Could you do that? Whose role is it? In a very, very real sense, it's God's role. And so have you, just to apply this a little bit, have you lost your confidence in evangelism? Right? Have you given up a bit on a few friends who you gave it a go with and then it's gone? Have you lost your confidence? I'll tell you someone who hasn't. God has not lost his confidence. Have you kind of had bad experiences and realized that you haven't got it in you? I'll tell you who's got it in him. God's got it in him. He can bring life from any situation. And we're going to do that at the end. We're going to pray to God to make a difference and bring life in our city and through our carol service and through our lives. We're going to do that when we finish because he can do it. Now, that being said, it is crucial to hold this tension, okay? Because if that was the only thing we said, we'd all go home, God would send everybody in Birmingham to become a Christian abstractly, and we'd, hey, brilliant. But that isn't what Paul says. Look what he says. He doesn't say pray for your friends, even, Colossians. He doesn't say pray for atheists, pray for Muslims to become Christians. He doesn't say that, though I'm sure that's good. (laughs) He doesn't say that. He doesn't say pray for them. Look what he says. He says pray for us. Now that's interesting. He doesn't say, Colossians, pray that those people out there would change and that God would change them. He says, Colossians, pray for us. That's how it's going to happen. He doesn't say God convert people, but that God would open a door for Christians to walk through. Now I think, I don't know about you, I think that's a bit stupid prayer. I'm like, let's cut some of the faff out, the middleman. Let's just get it done. God, rescue them. Go. I release you, Lord, to do that. Carry on, right? And yet that's not what he says. Because Paul has, do you remember in chapter one, Johnny preached on it here, I think, that in chapter one, he talks about the gospel, the good news, in such confidence, he says, wherever it goes, it bears fruit. Wherever it goes, when it comes to you, it bears fruit. When it goes any corner of the world, it bears fruit. Because he had such a gospel confidence that he knew wherever that news goes, God can bring life. And so it makes perfect sense that his prayer then, the big strategy is not God rescue them, but God open a door for us to go with that news. Because that news is powerful. God's plan to rescue people, okay, is to use people he's already rescued. That's his big idea. That's why we plant local churches in places. That's why we don't merely say, Lord, give them dreams, though what a privilege when there isn't really a local church established in a country. You hear these stories of Muslims getting dreams of Jesus. He's got such a heart for the lost that even if there isn't any Christians there to open the door to, he's going to go. But the way that he's promised to work is through people he's already rescued. Through people who know him. And so, is the whole burden of your friends on you? No. Take a breath. Phew. Okay, he's the great evangelist. He's the one who's going to woo them. He's the one who all the glory goes to. Hallelujah. But how is he going to do that? 
He says he's going to do it through Christians who speak the gospel. That's his big strategy. Now, it doesn't feel like often that we're making a difference, does it, in the world? It doesn't, no offense to the west side, I would say this at south side as well, it doesn't look like we're going to change Birmingham, does it? <laughs> it? No offense, like some of you it maybe does. It doesn't look like it. But the Lord of heaven and earth has promised that how he will transform this city and how he will transform individuals' lives is through us. That's his means to doing it. So just let your faith rise that the Lord is not going to just randomly do it, but he wants to use you. Okay? Now, that's one tension. Uh, Next person to tug of war with me. Looking, not getting, yes, Reuben Mitchell, he's going to come up. Yes, he is. Come on. Good. Round of applause. Good lad. Now, you're a little bigger uh, than everyone in this room except your dad. Um, So just be gentle with me. Okay, there's another tension we feel with who does it, okay? And that's ready. Three, two, one, go. Tug, 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 tug. Now, Reuben is representing some very gifted people, okay? Go tug it a bit harder. He's really gifted. He's an evangelist, okay? He's like Billy Graham and, uh, well done, uh, that's a compliment, and uh, loads of people who are particularly gifted at evangelism, okay? Now, I am us, okay? I'm normal people, okay? So as we tug, who's going to do, for the first time in my life, I'm normal people, we're going to do a bit of a tug of war. Now, what happens if, if, if Reuben starts to win is that we think, oh, the work of evangelism is down to Billy Graham, okay? And it's just down to the special gifted people that God's given to the church. So result, we again don't have to do anything, Brilliant. However, if we swing too far this way, come with me, and we think, actually, we, we reject the idea that there'd ever be anyone particularly gifted at it, and it's all of us, then we might start thinking, the things in the Bible that say, like, and then Peter preached to 3,000 people and they became Christians, am I meant to do that in my workplace? Huh? That seems a bit odd. And we might feel kind of very confused about passages where uh, evangelists are talked about. We might get a bit confused about that. What we need, go back, is to hold the tension Whose job is it? Is it the gifted evangelist's job to do evangelism, or is it the ordinary person, the church's job to do evangelism? Reuben, thank you very much. Round of applause, very good. Is it some people's job, or is it all of our job? Now, the answer here is a little bit more nuanced than you think, actually. We all probably think we're going to say it's this. Right? But it's a little bit more nuanced than that. Look what Paul says in verse 3, okay? Look what he says in verse 3. And who is that about? Who is he talking about? So he's talking to the Colossians, saying, Pray, Colossians, also for us. Now, who's he talking about? Who's that? That's Paul. And that's Timothy, isn't it? Timothy's his little crony who runs around helping him plant churches. The Colossians are meant to pray for these two particularly gifted people who have a particular role in a particular place to do pioneering work for the gospel. And the Colossians, therefore, if they want to be about evangelism, they're to pray for those particularly gifted people. Two people who are to bless the wider body of Christ by being particularly gifted by God at sharing Jesus with new people. Okay. Now, I think we're so often and quick to say that you don't have to be an evangelist to do evangelism, and it's not for the special few, it's for the ordinary you, and blah, that we sometimes miss that actually God is a Christmas present to us, 
has given particular people who are particularly gifted at this role. And you might feel that that's you, you might feel that that's not you and you've got other gifts, but it's a present from God to the church, people who are really somehow specially gifted at this. So that was Billy Graham, wasn't it? Like no one's come to a stadium to hear me, (laughs) but they did to him because God has not We've all got to be intimidated by Billy Graham. But because God just blessed us with one man who was really gifted at that. I think it's true of Becky Pippert, the person who I quoted earlier. Amy Orr Ewing, right, from Catalyst Festival, if you were there. Michael Ramsden, who's coming to the ICC in February. He's just really good at it. It somehow clicks. He's not a superhuman. I haven't seen his halo. But God just blesses him when he talks about Jesus. Adrian Holloway. New Day people in our family of churches. Doesn't matter if that name doesn't mean anything to you. He's just, I don't think he's got a halo. But when he talks about Jesus, people could become Christians. And it's true in my life. Steve, okay, was not a particularly gifted evangelist. But Steve took me to hear someone called J. John. Has anyone heard of him? Okay, oh, cool. Uh, I hadn't at one point, And he sort of tricked me to go to an event and hear J. John. And I'll be honest didn't really love it but then a year later when God had gone like that with the snow globe of my life and I was going oh what do I do I turned on God TV now let's just leave it there which some some of you will love that that's great and it's I yeah it's it's a mixed bag um and uh and on God TV I might normally have just skipped it on a channel but I saw on God TV J. John I thought I know that guy how do I know that guy on God TV that's weird and at that moment J. John said probably the same thing as he'd said a year before but somehow it clicked and I became a Christian in front of God TV because of J. John now Steve did a lot of groundwork but there are some people who are particularly gifted at it I think it's true of Rich O'Carroll, who we pray for. He just seems to just be good at that in a way that he maybe isn't good at loads of other stuff. I think it's true of Johnny Meller, I think, and I checked with him. Johnny, am I allowed to say this? And he was like, mm, if you have to. I think it's true of Johnny that when he communicates the gospel, it somehow clicks a bit, right? Which is why it's a huge privilege to me to be able to bring my friends to hear him, or to bring my friends into an event where someone with a bit more gift than me can do some of the work for me. And we shouldn't be intimidated by that. And just as we shouldn't rely on that, we shouldn't despise it either. And so good news, two of the most gifted communicators of the gospel that I've ever had the pleasure of meeting, Anna O'Brien and Johnny Meller, are going to communicate the gospel at an event next Sunday. And I get to think about bringing my parents. I think my parents are coming. A couple of friends from NCT think they might come. Can't work it out, but might. And that is a brilliant thing because where I might struggle at times, we get to use the gifted evangelists in our church. Now, that being said, we've got to hold the tension, right? Haven't we? We've got to hold the tension because just look at verses five and six. Who is Paul talking about in verses five and six? They'll come up on the screen. Who's he talking about here? Walk in wisdom, He says, let your speech, that you may know how you ought to answer people. See, it is true that there are some particular individuals, but it's also true that you and me, even you and even me, can be used by God. Let your speech, Colossians. Do you remember chapter 3? Who is it in Colossae? Children, parents, slaves, masters, wives, husbands, normal people. In normal things, in your normal world, you can play a part as well. 
It's the church as they live their lives and do their thing and honor their bosses and live in such a way that draws questions from the world occasionally. God is calling us, not just Johnny, (laughs) but us. And I think that's brilliant because can you imagine the privilege that it is to be a mouthpiece for the God of heaven? And he doesn't want to just give that present to Rich O'Carroll and Johnny. He wants to give that present to me. He wants to use me. He wants to sweep me up, who used to hate him, and give me the privilege of actually trying to have a go at bringing people to know him. I think that's a huge privilege. And I just wonder if some of us have discounted ourselves from being used by God to see change happen in our friends' lives. I wonder if Stevie, I wonder if he discounted himself for seven years when he would accidentally get drunk a few times and therefore he was just, he'd blown it. Or where he just couldn't get his words out in science and therefore looked like an idiot. And he thought, I'll just leave it to Jay, John. I wonder if Steve thought, ah, nothing's happened for seven years, so I'll just give up. He might have done. But God wanted to use Steve. God didn't want Billy Graham in my science class. He wanted Stephen Forrester in my science class. And Steve Forrester was not a hugely gifted guy. He'll probably listen to this because he likes to keep tabs on me. (laughs) Steve, love you. Um, (laughs) But he wasn't a hugely gifted evangelist. But he allowed God to use not just the, the special ones, but him in the real world. And we often, I think, get stuck on evangelism because we have some if only this or if only that. Like, I'm up for evangelism, Rich, but if only I was a bit cooler because then I'd have a bit more relevance, right? Or if only I was in a more prestigious role so I could speak with more authority. Or if only I didn't have this flipping prestigious role so I could actually be free to speak with some more authority. Or if only I was older, then I'd know. If only I was younger, because I used to have the energy for it then. We have these if-onlys, but that is not true. God does not want an older, cooler, younger, more relevant, more clever, less clever, more authority, less authority person to do this. He wants you to do it. He wants to bless you as you really are. Have you discounted yourself from this? Have you given it a go, but it didn't work, so you've stopped? God wants to use the real you and the real me to do this. Don't discount yourself. Where is there a door that God might be opening, not to me, but to you? Or you? Or you? Lots quicker, um, so that we finish on time. We've thought about whose role is it? Whose job is it to do this evangelism stuff? Is it God's? Yes, it must be, because he can bring life from death. But he has chosen to use Christians to share the news. Which Christians? Evangelists, absolutely, brilliant. Let's get people to carols, but also ordinary you and me, the local church, doing our thing day in, day out. But what is it that we're actually meant to do, okay? And we'll kind of finish with this. This is kind of where we're going to wrap up for a few minutes. What actually is it that we're meant to do in evangelism? And there's one more tension. The Mitchell of them all. The biggest Mitchell. Mark Mitchell, everybody. Come on up, come on up, come on up. Here we go. I am scared about this. Okay. So there's a tension. There's a <laughs> Don't pull me out. I'll just see me flying out that window. Yeah, okay. Right. So there's a tension here. Is it our walk or is it our talk? 
that's important. Now, Mark is representing walking because he's very athletic. Um, and what's really important, and I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a talker. Now, if we don't hold this intention, what happens is we just start going over that way. And what, flip. <laughs> and what's uh, important is how we live. Now, if we go over this way, then what we'll be is we'll be the kindest Christian you've met. Okay? Uh, it's all fictional. And, uh, and we would be very, very, very good at blessing people, walking with people over years, crying with people, listening to people, blessing people, seeing, buying them shopping. We wanna, we'd be holy. We'd be living well, okay? But no one would ever know why. That'd be a shame. Over this side of the tension, we've got the people who are just sort of, Jibida, come on over. <laughs> just talkers and we I tell you what we over here we have got our three-point sermon ready we've got our outline we know when someone says how are you saved can I tell you how and we've got all our words sorted all right and but the thing is is that people will hear that gospel and it will bounce right off them because you're not actually living a life of love that reflects this gospel and words on their own oh god they're so ugly aren't they right we need to hold it in tension We've got to be people who live lives and lives that speak with our mouths as well so that people know why Mark's living lovely life and why my words down this end of the spectrum actually mean something because they see it in my life. Tension held. Thank you very much, another Mitchell. Very good. Let's just think about that for just a few more seconds. Verse 5 and 6. Verse 5 is a walk verse, isn't it? And verse 6 is a talk verse. Work 5 is a walk verse. Your walk is important. You're not just called to speak, but to shine where you live. Not perfectly, but genuinely, we're called to look different, live different. And that brings a responsibility to us, doesn't it? That does bring a bit of a weight there. It's a responsibility to live different. It also, I think, brings a huge dignity to every act of obedience that you've ever lived out. Every time you've ever submitted or stooped or served or blessed or um, been obedient or been kind. Any time in the playground you've not gone there on the crude banter. Forget the ones where you did. Forgetting what's gone, but straining forward. But when you don't, that counts for something. Because our walk is important. And it makes a difference. Every time we've sat and made small talk with someone at time for tea, and the talk's not been about Jesus, but we've just been kind to that person, that matters, that matters. And every time we've blessed someone, that matters. It brings huge value, I think, to, and dignity to any act of love because it wins a hearing for this life-bringing gospel. It's a beautiful thing to do, and we should not just speak but shine. And do you know what Steve, Stevie boy, Stevie Forrester, I ignored his words for seven years, but his life I couldn't ignore. Was he perfect? No. No. If he was in my youth group, I'd be pulling my hair out about him. But he was different, and somehow that just, when my snow globe got shook, I knew who to ask, because his life had counted for something. But at the other end of the tension, and this is literally where we'll stop, the other end of the tension, words are needed, aren't they? at some point. And we can just so know that it's not about just being someone who shouts that we go right down the other end and we never actually explain news to people. And what a shame that would be. Verse 6 is a talk verse. We're here to speak 
gracious words and know how we should answer people. We're to open our mouths and not just let our lives do the talking, but actually with vocal cords and language and air, I'm trying to make this as clear as possible, say stuff, (laughs) right? Becky Pippett says that we must live the faith we share, but we must share the faith we live, right? We must live out the faith we share, but we must share the faith we live. We've got to walk the walk and talk the talk, if you like. And which have you forgotten? There'd be different ones of us in the room. Which have you forgotten? Which tension end have you fallen off? Where are you ignoring your life that you think you're doing good because you say the word Jesus in a conversation every now and again? But where are you loving living, blessing, befriending. But it's been a while since we've tried to say, actually, you know, that's, yeah, I, I do think it means this. Or, um, yeah, my church is a lovely church. Would you, would you, why don't you come? Why don't you come and have a little look? Words are crucial. Which have you forgotten? Now, um, I think, just to land this, we're often down on evangelism because we we think, I've been there and I've done that, okay? I had my time. And I feel this. I had a job before I was the youth worker for Church Central where I was basically like trying to be an evangelist. It never really went that well, but uh, with students. And I sort of felt like I had a lot of opportunities then, but that's kind of then. But God's not worried about then. He's worried about now. And I can sometimes get so down about, oh, I've given it a go or it didn't quite work. I've got these half stories, friends who profess faith and then didn't or whatever, that I just, uh, I'm just going to stop. I'm just going to leave it to Johnny for a few years. And I think that's a shame. Because though we'll never do this perfectly, okay, and Steve didn't, and J. John didn't, but we get to point people to the one who did. To the one who walked the walk, who lived such a life of love that people just couldn't help but be drawn to him. And the religious who thought they got it all together, well, they tried to kill him. But the ones who were looking for something different flocked to him like bees to a honeypot, because there was something different about his life. The way he was so kind, the way he was so patient, the way he was for people, the way he had integrity, the way that he was willing to compromise his reputation but never compromise himself. And he did it perfectly. And he took the walk, the walk, right up the hill and then did the biggest act of life showing us what it could be by dying for us on the cross. And he did it brilliantly. And he didn't just stop there, but he explained why he was doing it, didn't he? He used words. People were amazed, not just at his miracles, but all the way through the Gospels. Do you see, in our 10 years through Luke, they were amazed at his teaching. They were amazed at his teaching. They were amazed at the words that were coming from his mouth. He explained himself. Not all the time, not in the, here's the Gospel, three points, boom. But he did open his mouth. He walked the walk and he taught the talk. And he said things like, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. And he said things like, anyone who comes to me, I'll never turn away. And he said things like, I'm the way, the truth and the life. And I'm the light of the world and I'm the bread of life. And he said things and he lived them. And so our job is not to get it perfectly right, but to in our life and our mouth, try our best to just point to him. And God has promised that he will use ordinary people to transform our city, one by one as the good news gets out.